0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Dalitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and as always here with Managing Editor, Richard Hill.
1: Yep, I'm here and excited to be here and really, uh, uh, I just love all these wonderful opportunities to talk to to fascinating people. And we've got someone very interesting uh, doing something that we haven't got a lot of conversation
0: about, talking about group work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to go across to New York and we're going to talk to Tanya Cole Lesnick. She's a psychotherapist, a licensed clinical social worker and personal development coach who is focused on helping people to pursue a life that honors their truest selves, is clear of energetic clutter, and that they are genuinely excited to be living. Well, yeah, I. And
1: I expect she will be genuinely excited. We're genuinely excited to be living. And one of the things we're genuinely excited about is uh, certainly our fabulous Science of Psychotherapy Academy. Just remember Mm -hmm. to go over there and uh, this is where you can actually get access to Loads and loads of learning materials. We have quite a few of our podcasts uh, that are online with some articles that become learning opportunities and give you an educational certificate. But don't forget our most important educational uh, element, and that's our book. The Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy, still available all over the place, uh, online and uh, in various stores and in quite a few uh, libraries uh, I'm now learning. So the Science of Psychotherapy, the Practitioner's Guide to the Science of Psychotherapy from W.W. Norton. Jump into that and you get a uh, a single book that uh, that guides you right throughout uh so many elements of uh, what we've been talking about in all our programs and in our education, and in our podcasts. Fantastic.
0: All right. Well, Richard, let's go across to New York. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you.
2: Thank you so much, Matthew and Richard. I'm really excited to be here and to see what unfolds.
0: Yeah, it was really exciting. We
1: we we were looking at uh stuff, stuff lands on our desk and and uh, uh not all the time, but uh you're certainly one we went, "Oh, that's interesting." Uh and uh, everybody knows our curiosity here at the science of psychotherapy is a is a real uh, uh guide as to a, as to a good good step forward. And we just want to thank you for giving your your time and your uh, sharing what you do, but we've given a little introduction. Maybe we should just start with uh, a bit of your story, a bit of you know what brought you from um, uh, you know mild mannered reporter into uh, uh, into where you are now with the work you're doing.
2: Yeah, um, so I started out my career in my mid twenties as a graphic designer and during that time was very much longing for a long-term love relationship and thought that i would always want to get married and have children one day but i was really struggling and didn't know how i was going to get from where i was to this long-term love relationship because it was not happening for me mm-hmm. and originally i was not open to the idea of therapy mostly i felt a lot of stigma and also i dismissed What I thought my issues were, deciding that they were not somehow important enough or legitimate enough to pursue therapy for. So originally I didn't, but as my struggle continued and my longing intensified, I decided to give it a try. I got some names and I got connected to a wonderful therapist named Bonnie. And that experience started pretty quickly to feel healing. I felt emotionally safe in that space to start sharing my story with her. I did not feel judged at all by her. Mm. And pretty early on, she suggested that I add group therapy to the mix. And I um, saw her individually, of course, but she would also run the group and The thought of it really did kind of terrify me because I was being quite vulnerable with her in a way I hadn't really been with other people. And the thought of being vulnerable like that with strangers felt very scary. Um, But I was intrigued. She thought it would be helpful. And so I decided to give it a shot. And um, I think it really was in the combination of doing the group an individual that was so powerful and transformative for me that uh, it led to me changing my career to, I got my license um, or I became a licensed clinical social worker and have done personal development coaching as well. And also what I didn't say is early on, um, I had met this man who later became my husband And he and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary last September and have two grown daughters. So, yeah, so that, I mean, what I had gone in to do the work towards in my life, what I wanted to change and understand better, it happened. But the Mm. part that I hadn't anticipated was how important my transformation in my relationship with myself was and that's what really prompted me to change my career
1: yeah it's such a such an important aspect of um uh it's our relationship with ourselves it's our awareness of ourselves mm -hmm. Uh, i mean we've talked about this this quite often in um uh, in our podcast so i don't want to bore our listeners but my early years i was uh, in the acting uh, profession so um, I got to play a lot of people doing a lot of things having a lot of relationships and and one of the interesting positive things uh, well, for me and, and and for the sort of uh, quite a few actors is the more you um, delve in this manipulation and playing around with who you could be or might be or can be or whatever it it helps you make decisions about who you want to be and who you mm-hmm. feel really comfortable with so you know i'd finish playing a hamlet and then i'd say well i've got to go home now just a minute who's richard again
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and on the positive side of it and I, I i'm hoping that was what was happening there that i found this sense of of a me that i really liked uh mm-hmm. i like i like to be and this is uh what i hear in a, a bit of that expression there there was it was really hard to find you, were, you were finding it uncomfortable to be the you that you thought you were or who the impression you got. What do you think made the, the change, the difference, the shift from uh, being uh, something you that you're uncomfortable with and a you that you were comfortable with? Is it a little thing, a quick thing, a slow thing? I don't know. What, what was your experience?
2: I think um, probably the thing that got in the way the most for me was this limiting belief. So I went into that situation, not knowing what was in the way for me, but trying to answer that question for myself before I got into the therapy situation, why might this be happening? And what I came up with is that there was probably a part of me that wasn't very lovable, And so that was a belief that I held on to thinking, hmm, if I'm not lovable, I better curate the version of myself that I want to. In this case, I was longing for a love relationship. So it was mostly what I wanted to show up for with men that I might be interested in. But it could be with anybody where I would curate what I was showing, try to think through in my thinking mind before saying things. Deciding what sounded cool, what sounded funny, what made me sound smart, like all the things that I thought I wanted to show to the world. But what that did, of course, was take up so much energy and it interfered with my ability to be present and embodied and really connected in a very genuine way. And so I think it was starting to release some of that idea, that limiting belief that I wasn't lovable, part of that was being in a group with other human beings who I really started to get to know and admire. I saw them as being such wonderful people. And I heard from them that they had some similar insecurities of their own. And being able to see that in other people helped kind of create a little bit of a crack. In my own story, and then with some time, I was able to really let that go.
1: And it's interesting that thing of of uh, of what what is the real you, but but also I'm just thinking of the reverse thing, uh, our our desire to meet somebody and so we you know we misrepresent i i I, I was doing Romeo and juliet and the, the the girl who was in it i thought was fabulous gorgeous and things and so i made a bit of a, a a bit of a you know thing whatever you do a bit of a pass <laughs> and she said hey richard i'm not juliet you know no. uh you know don't romanticize me so we get we get those those two things going on the um uh your thing of being unromanticizable mm-hmm. and others of being, um, and then, of course, you try to make yourself romanticizable. It's that performance mm-hmm. stuff gets messy, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, because we can't, I mean, when we're in that space, everything is sort of getting crafted along the way. And so without being able to check in with our hearts and and what is our intuition really saying If we're too much in our heads, we're not able to access that.
0: Can I ask the, um, the attempt to be more lovable. So, you know, the, the putting on the act is that, was there a sense of being unlovable first? And then you tried to, you know, put on a persona of being lovable or was it being putting on the persona of wanting to be lovable exacerbated the, you know, you, you, yeah. you felt, uh, did you know what I mean?
2: I'm smiling because I love that question. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure the answer. I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I okay. think this stuff kind of seesaws a little bit. So mm. I think growing up, we all carry different limiting beliefs. So I probably didn't start out struggling with men and then having this brand new limiting belief that came To join, sort of, where how I showed up in the world. I think growing up in the family that I grew up in. Um, there, I had a mother who had a lot of anxiety and it came out as anger and rage often. And so I think as a child, number one, I developed some people pleasing tendencies because I never wanted to set my mom off, but also some of that, and this is, we all do this, you know, we all make up some stories to keep us safe in the childhoods that we grow up in. So I think that there's more history to that story, um, my mom's anger, my dad was a workaholic. And just to say that's probably what got some of my stories going and some of the limiting belief. And then feeling like, oh, I better craft this thing. And it probably intensified from some of the feedback that I got from not being able to sort of connect more fully with potential love partners.
0: Yeah
1: but, yeah but then you then you moved into uh so, so there was the initial therapy with with bonnie on the one-on-one and you mm-hmm. were able to to release and that's a a, a wonderful uh a, a wonderful thing that can happen and we've been doing it for generations you know before the psychotherapy sort of with but with these special people you know we'd all end up at auntie mary's place for a cup of tea or or mm-hmm. a cup of coffee or something uh but then uh, you sort of that great uh, person you can trust, but then moving into the group, uh, that becomes, I mean, we all know that co regulation is a really important aspect of human existence. But I, I just, as you were talking, I just jotted down there's this perception of the danger of others, mm-hmm. and then there's the safety with others. And sometimes they compete. So when you walked in, I get the feeling that you walked in with hope, but with trepidation. What was the early stages of uh, suddenly sitting in a room with everybody? Uh, Because I'm sure there's uh, both therapists listening who, you know, uh, deal with this and want to deal with this. And also people that they work with. What's it like Mm. to walk in there? What was it like for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember it so well and then also as a therapist who runs groups I deal with it with a lot of my clients that have resistance to the idea of going to group at all for a while because they the fear is so strong. Um, for me I remember um being in the waiting room and the way that this therapist had run groups and I do, the same, which is it's not a cohort group. It does not start and end with the same group start to finish. People can stay various lengths of time depending on what their needs are and you know how long group continues to be helpful for them. And so there are new people who join already existing connections that have been made. And so going into that group, I remember waiting in the waiting room and everybody that was also waiting in that waiting room seemed to know each other and to sort of speak in shorthand because they just catching up, they they kind of starting in the middle of every sentence. So I felt probably shy on a good day, but in that situation, I just remember feeling really uncomfortable pretty invisible because i think they knew each other they were, it was you know a private space in a therapy waiting room so i think people tend to be a little bit too like respectful of somebody's privacy in a space like that and going into the room and the first group session my therapist did not introduce me to the others which I was shocked about I thought for sure she would so I kept waiting for her too and she didn't um I always introduce people when they come into my group I think she I don't know whether that was intentional or or what I don't think I ever actually asked her why she didn't. But my guess was she wanted me to help, or she wanted to help me develop my own voice. How do I introduce myself? How do I speak up? And in the end, she just asked me why I was being so quiet towards the end of group. So it was like an in for me, but it was very awkward and very uncomfortable. And, uh, the others in the group didn't seem to actually notice me until that point where I introduced myself. So, yeah, so that was all just very interesting. But once I did, they were they were much warmer and friendlier. So,
0: yeah. So, so you said that you make sure that you do introduce clients to the group, and that, So what what other things do you do as a therapist to sort of soften that that initial you know first shock of you know being in a group of of strangers?
2: Yeah. I structure my groups and I really ask everybody to come in. I'll give all my group members a topic a week prior to group. So my groups, I run every other week. And then the week prior to group, I'll send out a topic to everybody. So they have a week to really think about it. And they're always related to, you know, being human. Things like uh, how's your energy levels, what depletes you, what replenishes you, that kind of thing. So that's an example of a question, or we may talk about limiting beliefs. What are some limiting beliefs that you notice were in play during this week? Something like that. And so then each person has a turn to share. And But the most important part that I think in the groups that I run is I have them, after. After the initial sharing connect again through what's resonating for each of them so that there's that connection that gets very um, explicitly discussed I mean what is coming up for you what is resonating for each person and then also if there is anything that's triggering I ask people to share that as well and so there's different layers that we get into but I I structure it more than, that group that i started in um and i yes. don't know whether that yeah
1: well yeah. no i think i think each group uh, and this is what's important is is that uh, i've from what we've talked about with other group therapists and there are some pretty famous uh, uh bods in america who've been uh, developing this over the the decades but that it's very much an expression of personality um mm. and it, it's, it's some Sort of, uh, I've seen them. They like a very clinical space, uh, and that's interesting. Uh, I found that odd, but that was uh, they found a group that required that type of. They drew a group that required that. So mm-hmm. there's a degree to which um, I would imagine, if somebody didn't like your approach, then they'd they'd probably leave leave and move on. So it's uh that that your your uh I like the way that you have not sort of like you come to the group and you stay for six months. You come to group and you stay for as long as the group is um is helpful and functional and uh developmental for you. And I imagine sometimes the the group discussion goes off in in very uh, unexpected directions. Uh, how does everybody how do you work with that type of um, uh, unexpected stuff?
2: Um. I feel like it's, there's always overlap. It's always understandable how we got here. So if it starts to go off on sort of a path that we weren't expected, I might just state that like, wow, we're going down this path. It seems a little surprising because we started here. What's that about? And ask everybody to sort of say a little bit more about what their understanding is. Why are we going towards this thing? What is it? Because if there is something that is, sometimes it's clear that something's bringing up a lot for people. And we will look at that and say, what's about this topic? Why is this topic feeling so potent for everybody? What's getting touched on for all of you? And really kind of go there if it feels productive. I mean, sometimes we can go off on a tangent and it's maybe not the most productive. It might be You know, sometimes people can get caught up in maybe more small talk kind of stuff where they're connecting and sharing stories that are interesting, but perhaps not part of the growth process. And so if that's the case, then... I may also say, I feel like we're getting off track here, you know, that, and sometimes that happens if there's a topic that's really uncomfortable. And so if it seems like that might be the reason where, why people are sort of kind of going off on this other tangent, we may speak to that and say, this is a tough topic yeah. and see what people have to say about that. Uh, yeah. that's brilliant.
1: There's about three or four really fabulous takeaways there. Yeah. You're thinking Matt.
0: I was just going to say, just before we get into some of the the detail on, on um, transformational shift and that that happens within the group, I've got another technical question. And that is just um, how hands-on are you in the group? Because I've been in groups where it's, it's very hands-on for the therapist and I've been in other groups where the therapist basically sits back and just lets the dynamic of the group unfold. So mm-hmm. what is it like for you?
2: I'm pretty hands-on. Um, I will sort of guide people through the structure. I love when they respond to each other more than me responding. So I always want to have space for that. And if that's happening, I push myself to hold back a little. I think my tendency is maybe to jump in more than um, what's always helpful. So I'm mindful of that. And I will be deliberate about like breathing through it. If I feel like stuff's happening without me, I love that. Um, but I, I definitely am very involved in just helping to move sort of the group around and make sure that we're staying on topics that feel like it's addressing the growth needs of the members in the group because they're coming in for a reason and we end up loving each other. I mean, I think that's part of it is the relationships that get developed are so warm and people are so connected. And so there could be a tendency to get into some lighter stuff, which is fine. I mean, I don't think it has to be heavy, uh, you know, the entire time. But if it feels like we're sort of getting off track in that way, like I said earlier, then I will be deliberate about bringing us back.
0: Okay. It's and just then a bring, gentle back. Sorry, right. I was just saying gentle sensitivity. That's all, Matt. Right. Uh, it just, uh, just feels really nice. Sorry, yeah. back to you. Yeah, yeah. So in, in bringing them back, um, what is the end goal that you always have in mind? What what are you bringing them back to? And what's, uh, what's the goal at the end of the day?
2: I think group, one of the reasons why I think group is so powerful is because we touch some of that inside stuff that's unconscious, that we can't really touch when we're in individual sessions, because we're not necessarily getting this extra information that's coming in that we get from other people. And so I always want people to get, if if possible, new insights and um, to be able also to know that they're not alone, to connect about some of these sort of difficult, vulnerable journeys. And so it's really those things where people can talk about some of the scary steps that they either want to take or are taking towards some change in their lives and help them learn from what other people have done, but also hear that they're not alone. And as we get to know each other, we get very much celebrated by each other. And that I think is just so lovely too, to be able to witness somebody sharing something that maybe they even think is such a little thing, but what they get reflected back to them from the others in the group is like, that's amazing. You've done this thing. Do you remember about how much you struggled with that? Look at what you've done. That kind of really to call out some of the movement that we see in each other because it's sometimes harder to see it in ourselves.
1: What about the uh, the the gender uh, balance uh, do you i noticed that there's a fabulous uh video you have on uh on, on your website which gives a beautiful insight into the to, to the to the work you do and if i remember i think they were it was pretty much all women um it's all women. It, it's, it's pretty much a, so do you uh maintain a uh or an all women thing by any uh, reason or other? that's just the way it emerges or what's your thinking about that that gender balance
2: yeah um i I'm doing a little bit of both right now in terms of one of um, sort of my beginning direction was all women. I had brought a few men in here and there, but my practice was more women than men. So it was really difficult for me to bring in an even number of men. So often if I had a man join, he'd be the only man. And then for a bit, you know, I would want to grow from there, but then it didn't do great in my sort of when I was trying to build some of those groups, I had done some more even men, women groups years ago. And actually, I just started a brand new little group that's only I started with just two people because they were really eager to get started. And it's a man and a woman. And, uh, you know, and also with gender, sort of leaving the binary and sort of just more gender options to nowadays, I really do like the idea of opening up more to um, having more of a mix of genders. But um, in one situation, I um, am sort of starting that, so...
0: Yeah, and I guess the statistics are against you because you know there's there's way more women that are coming to therapy in general, um, and so so I guess sometimes you'd be hard pressed, you know, having um, the number of males. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to. Yeah, you don't want to make it a, a, a an equal opportunity aspect because because
1: all therapy is uh, 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 very much generated by the intention of the of the person participating. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's interesting. Uh, where they come along. I mean, goodness gracious me, uh, I've been an actor and a therapist and uh, the males have always been in the minority uh, there, which mm-hmm. is, except when it gets to teaching, which is quite interesting. Uh, mm. We tend to look up there on the, on the, 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 presentation stage and it's a whole bunch of white guys. And sometimes I look around and go, wow, look at all these old white guys. And I'm like, Oh damn, mm-hmm. uh, so am I. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the, this essence of just allowing the group to be what it is um and that uh, what i what i call comfortable which um Mm -hmm. comfortable is uh i talk about this is is, as as having a sense of strength by being able to relax and being calm as i say the safety with Mm -hmm. with others that's that's terribly that's terribly important and the the um i I'm just want to sort of circle back a little bit on this thing of of new people coming in. You had that experience, mm. and I'm just wondering because you've just been giving such fabulous takeaways. Uh, I hope everyone's out there taking notes. Um, this uh, uh, um, allowance of the new people coming in uh, um, to, uh, I mean, there'd be people who are very shy. There are people who are who are feeling uncomfortable. This requires a lot of sensitivity on your behalf, I would imagine. Um, Do you find that onerous? Do you find that testing? Do you find that delightful that you're given that opportunity? I'm Mm. just wondering.
2: I mean, I kind of love it. Um, And I think that's part of the reason why I really like a combination of group and individual. Because if somebody's coming in, they're feeling shy, I'll coach them a bit before they you know, are really committed to taking that leap because I think if somebody is shy, they are very likely to be one of the people that's resistant. And so it will be a conversation or many conversations. I'll start to let them know how I think group could support them on this journey as I'm working towards helping them understand it could be really helpful for them. And then once they start, I think, you know, you were talking about um, just the safe space and how important. I think that that's such a priority of mine to create a safe space and that I think I do a good job with it. I mean, I think people feel pretty safe early on because of how the culture sort of gets developed in the groups. I think people are pretty open and vulnerable. So the ones that have been in group longer can sort of set the tone for newer people. And I always ask them to start and, and then we um, will let the newer person share after they've had a chance to hear what others have to say. And so I think from their openness, they're able to feel, um, you know, a little bit of support and safety as they go. So, um, there was something else I was going to say about that. Um, yeah, and just about the individual part. And then, if somebody's feeling uncomfortable, then When we have a chance to talk individually, we can talk about what did come up. What do you think about that? And I can help them decide you don't have to share everything in group and that they can decide what they want to get support with in group and what they want to hold private and save for individual sessions as well.
0: Yeah, another great takeaway. That's the power um, with working both in group and and the individual one-on-one yeah now, um Tanya, before we started recording, um we were talking about uh, energetic clutter <laughs> mm. can um can we just segue to that and and just have a little bit of chat uh, about what you're discovering there and um how that fits into your therapy? Yeah, it's a fabulous yeah. term. I love it. yeah,
2: yeah, thank you. yeah, it's it's actually something that came to me when I was actually clearing through my spice cabinets in my kitchen and realizing yeah energetically we hold on to stuff that's taking up a lot of space and energy like limiting beliefs i know we were talking earlier about some limiting beliefs and i mentioned that that was one that brought me into therapy to begin with and um but there are so many of them um and we all have our own nuanced versions and there these are usually things that got developed, these beliefs got developed in our childhoods, and we have associated behaviors with them. And I know you guys know this, and many of your listeners know this. I use the language energetic clutter to help my clients understand what's going on when they hold on to these limiting beliefs and these behavioral patterns that go along with them that got developed in childhood, but that are no longer serving them. And so um if they even ever were serving them but i know that they get developed f- for reasons and so help people to understand that they're holding on to these ideas like productivity is the top way to spend our time and that other ways to spend our time can't happen until we're done pre- being productive or you know the hustle for self-worth those ideas um they get so depleting when we're holding on to all of these ideas because they impact how we live our day-to-day lives. So if we're somebody who believes we have to hustle for our work, then we're not prioritizing rest. We're not done until late at night and things like that. So I help people really start to understand what's their version of energetic clutter Um, And just to give you a very simple definition, the quickest, simplest definition that I've been saying is, it is all the things we hold on to energetically, our time, our energy, and our focus um, that are not helping us move the needle towards growth or meaning or how we want to feel. And so there's definitely stuff that we give energy to, but when we choose it, then um, it's different than when we're just in this automatic pilot towards these limiting beliefs.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I learned a lot uh, and I've changed the way I, I speak about things uh, in relation to other people from uh, disabled, uh, did a lot of work with disabled community. And, um, uh, and, and I, I, I so much enjoyed my friend who introduced himself as Terry the Crip. Uh, mm. Terry the cripple, and um, and he said, "I'm not disabled, mate. I'm mm. absolutely 100% able. I can't walk, but that's mm. your opinion. You know, that's mm. that's your opinion." And I do remember one time I was at the bottom of uh, of a set of stairs, and uh, uh, I was terribly uncomfortable because I was thinking of all the things that were wrong with uh, with Terry. And he just mm-hmm. turned to me and said, "What are you, an idiot? Pick me up." Uh, uh-huh. So he knew he was he felt perfectly able, and he felt perfectly comfortable to be picked up, wasn't mm-hmm. limited by the embarrassment. I was the one who was casting these um, negativities, and and of course, there are plenty of people who are disabled who say, "Oh, I am lesser because I can't walk, and I mm-hmm. tell them about Terry." Uh, mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. a very interesting thing how we disable ourselves. Uh, we reduce our abilities um, yeah. by, this, by these beliefs that come into us from outside. Uh, mm-hmm. from outside ourselves yeah. from as you say that, but they come in from childhood traumas they come in from bullying at school they come in I mean we've talked about a thing called stereotype threat just the general attitudes of of society and so on and so forth and mm-hmm. and getting around those and back into that sense of security and comfort by about being yourself that you're talking about isn't something that we that we should be doing on our own. We should be doing it with Mm -hmm. other people.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that doing a combination of being able to get some support, we can't really even trust ourselves sometimes in our ability Mm -hmm. to really catch ourselves sometimes because they're so entrenched some of these these patterns are so entrenched we don't always know when we're doing them even because they're just so automatic so it's really helpful i think to get Feedback and to be able to touch like against our blind spots, get either somebody else responding or noticing something coming up for ourselves. I mentioned earlier about um, sort of the limiting belief maybe I wasn't lovable, but also going into very people pleasing. Tendencies and needing to be very mindful of that, and I continue to be. I mean, that's still something that I have a tendency to go towards, wanting to do people pleasy things, and I need to pay attention. When am I? Um, and this is what I think is true for all of us to pay attention. When am I? Uh, pleasing others, accommodating others at my own expense and getting better at catching that has been uh, such an important part of my own process, but that's what I work on with other people as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've I've got uh, another technical question. I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to sit in on one of your sessions, Yeah. Um, but you're obviously, you know, by now very attuned to, you know, looking out for this energetic, you know, clutter uh, aspect in, in clients. So in a group setting, Mm-hmm. um are you calling this out as you as you sort of pick it up um with the individuals in the group or which I would imagine would have to be done with some sensitivity um h- how do you work how do you work to sort of bring that into the light yeah and do you, others call it out uh, yeah. amongst the group
2: yeah you mean with each other or just in general yeah in the group yeah with the, each other
1: you to them yeah yeah uh, uh, how yeah. does yeah. How do we, how does it, It when it, when it becomes obvious and in that one you're saying where they don't know they're saying it and they're saying something, mm-hmm. uh, how does it tend to come out in the group that like, Hey, Betty, you're, uh, did you hear what you just said? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm yeah. wondering. Mm, great yeah. question, man.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that I, if it's not, so obvious, I might put it out as a question and say, I hear that. I said, I'm also wondering if that might be something. And usually we've been talking about some of these patterns already. So it's not like they're brand new, but I suppose at some point it's the first conversation we're having about it. So it could be something like, you know, how, does your energy feel when you do that and getting them to sort of participating and starting to identify, oh yeah, I'm spending. So for example, I'm just thinking of a client of mine who is so frustrated with herself because she um, is very creative and wants to really honor that creative st- part of herself, but catches herself sort of really getting stuck in procrastination and not moving forward in the way that she wants to. And we were just talking about reframing some of that and checking in with her about that and trying to help her see how harsh her inner critic is and that that's taking a lot of energy. And so that's part of, you know, just checking in, how does your energy feel when you do that or starting to identify it? And, um, I mean, I think I, Always try to be gentle and direct, both, and find Mm -hmm. sort of that sweet spot of being able to be as direct as possible while also still being gentle. So, a combination of identifying, asking some questions, or sometimes I might say, Oh, do you hear that? That sounds like what we were talking about earlier with so and so. And so, to help people start to make some of the connections and to have very, um, Explicit conversations about those nuances.
0: Yeah, yeah, and having an attitude of curiosity is what I hear sort of coming mm-hmm. out there. Yeah,
1: yes, and yeah. and this this fabulous thing with the group where. Uh, I know as, a, as an individual therapist myself and, and uh, I'm talking to people and, and I bring in examples and uh, uh, I bring in stories and I bring in sort of things to help the client do all those things you talk about, not feel alone, uh, not feel as though their problem is is unmanageable. But it, it seems so uh, so much more empowering on an individual level because they can see this happening around them in real time. Uh, in other people. And and, and I think that, uh, again, another beautiful takeaway, use the activities of the group to help the group find individual um, uh, release and, and expansion. So uh, that that's another empowering aspect of group work, as long as you're sensitive and, and curious, as Matt mm-hmm. says. And, um, uh, yeah, so that's, there's a lot of balls to juggle, but I don't think... I'm getting from you, it's not a cognitive juggling, it's Mm. just you get juggling, and then the juggling kind of organizes itself uh, through having these qualities.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think, I'm just thinking too, with all of this, because I have my own history in group, and that's what led to me even becoming a therapist, I'm very open about that, and I will share with people, my own experiences with some of the very same things that they're talking about. And so I think that gives a nice layer to some of what we're doing, because they know that I really get it inside and out from both perspectives. But yes, I mean, I think all of this has an organic flow to it. And there's a real, um, I think that the culture of the group also gets developed as the relationships get stronger and so there's more humor there's maybe more acceptance of some of this feedback as well when um when we might be giving people feedback
0: yeah that's awesome but well, tanya we're coming to the end of our talk here i'm just wondering is there anything that we've missed or maybe something to sort of round out the conversation
2: The only thing that I was thinking of earlier is that another part that's really helpful in terms of doing both individual and group together is this shared experience that I get to have with my clients that typically as a therapist, you hear about their social activities, but you don't get to see them in action. And so being able to see my clients in these group contexts where they have these social experiences is so helpful for our work together because i can speak to it from from that place rather than just hearing what they're reporting to me
1: so. yeah that's that's another empowerment for the therapists. So for those people, uh, you know, sort of working with groups, but particularly for those uh, those of our listeners who who are contemplating uh, what are the benefits of groups. This has been an interesting idea. You know, uh, this has been just the most wonderful uh, insight uh, and engagement with the possibilities and the um the positive uh, uh frameworks and and some just straight out technical advice uh i want to thank you so much for for coming in and sharing that with us we I mean we could talk forever but we know that Aww. this is kind of like the concentration span of of things but uh, uh you know we want people and we'll have uh, links to your website uh where they can go and watch that fabulous video amongst um, look at all the, the there's lovely stuff you reveal your story you talk about a lot of very open very engaging uh, website go there is there anything coming up or anything else that you that you would like us to know about uh, before you leave or or just come in and see uh, see what you're doing on your website and and go from there
2: um i'm not sure when this is gonna get um go soon. live we're doing pretty, okay pretty soon the only thing to say is I talk about the groups that I do in my practice, but I also do small retreats, um, where, and the idea is to kind of the group experience on steroids where we really go in and we really go deep. Um, I, at the moment I do them with another woman, um, another wonderful therapist, they, and we call them the deep reset retreat because it really helps people sort of get a more, um, like a deeper reset, hmm. we get so, lost, yeah. yeah, yeah, in all this, yeah. in all
1: this confusing, fabulous, weird thing that we we call the world we live in. Great yeah. retreats. What well, I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up, and and we included that. So everybody go look out for those. You can go in in your hometown. You can go on personal things, and you can go off and just uh, let it all hang out in a in a, a beautifully protected space. How how wonderful. Uh, so for now Tanya we must say goodbye but we thank you really from the bottom of our hearts
2: and thank you both so much I really enjoyed talking to you but I also love the fact that you both also are coming at your own work from such a human place and that always makes me really happy
0: thank you so much Tanya
2: yeah thank you
0: oh I really liked her man yeah yeah, yeah. um, she's so
1: so calm and 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 (laughs) and gentle. I mean, it is interesting to see someone uh, find their place. And I mean, people uh, don't have to be calm and gentle to be uh, centered in themselves. But that's her. She's where she's really comfortable. You know, I'm a bit more up up market, and you're in your between. All -hmm. these individual expressions of ourselves. And when you get in a group, you get all those different dynamics, the sparky one, the quiet one, they're all beautiful and they've all got something uh, to, to contribute and also got something that they can benefit from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and putting my psychotherapist as a business cap on, you know, I, this is something that I haven't done, but, you know, this, this is a good model using um, group therapy with individual therapy. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of therapists that... Um, that only do one on one. And so yeah, this is this is something to think about in terms of your your business as a therapist. Mm, absolutely. The um and it's a good model, it's a good business model,
1: but it's also a really good client model. Uh, mm. because it offers them those broad opportunities. And sometimes uh, you know, I could imagine in a group, and I've been in some of these sorts of things, where where they've sort of say, oh, well, You know, maybe I can talk to you about that later. Uh, Or can I talk to you about that later? It's a very, it's it's wonderful for them to think they have that
0: option open to them. Well, well, in my thinking, it's only a good business model if it is a good um, model for, you know, a good therapy model. Yeah, 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 of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us here for this conversation with Tanya. Now, if you do appreciate what we're doing here on the Science of Psychotherapy, do jump across to our academy. That's the scienceofpsychotherapy.net. Now, some people have said to me that they feel a little intimidated by the uh, the amount of information that is there. And there is, admittedly, there is a lot of information because we've been gathering things for, for 10 years. Um, but what I would want to say to you is that you're, there's no... Com- compulsion you know to have to read everything and do everything you know you you pay a monthly subscription you can stay in there as long as you like and just you know hand pick you the, the, the things that you're interested in don't feel that you're not maybe so one person said well they didn't feel like they were, they were um you know making the best use of the the site because they hadn't read everything well I can tell you, in a year, you're not going to read everything in the site on the site, and,
1: and just use the search bar. Uh, put yep. in your topic. Put in your speaker. Put in your uh, just ideas that you're 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 pursuing. That perhaps you put in the, the condition. Uh, yeah. that you're you're looking to treat and see what comes up and you will find courses, you'll find individual frameworks, you'll find parts of our documentaries, talk about yeah. all these sorts of things. and just um, go in there and expand your understanding. it's uh, it's yeah. the it's the only way we become
0: better at what we do is to learn more and don't feel like you need to read all of it. I, I worked out that if you to read all of it in a year, you would have to spend three hours every single day. Nice. Oh, good lord! But of course, and not
1: everything's going to interest you. So, yeah. jump in, find what you're interested. Start with what you're interested in. That's always the best place to start. And there's, uh, uh, and there's so much to interest us all at the Academy. But for now, Matt, I think we can stop waxing lyrical about all our goodly stuff. Uh, But we'll have another podcast for people soon. Uh, Some interesting, some very interesting people on the format. We'll leave that as the mystery for later. But for now,
0: I think we're done. Okay, fantastic. Catch you next time.